So Life Support is a very ill-advised episode of Deep Space Nine. Okay, I really actually liked it, but... Uh, I don't like it, and uh, partly the reason why I don't <laughs> like it is because the A and the B plot are very schizophrenic. Uh, you have a very, very serious episode where Vedic Burial dies. This is a character that we have come to know and like, I guess, for tolerate. Seasons. Tolerate. And, and it's like about medical intervention and about, you know, life support and about um, um, Kai Wynn being a, a, a jackass about it and all kinds of very serious stuff. Kira's dealing with a lot of heavy emotions yeah, yeah, about yeah. The, the, the death of someone that she loves. And then we have a wacky B plot where Nog and Jake go on a double date. And it's just kind of like you get this whiplash feeling throughout the whole episode and it doesn't gel. I mean, it didn't bother me. I liked both plots fine. And if they were two separate episodes, it, it yes, it wasn't uh, a case of the strongest structuring. That is true. But um, I guess it didn't bother me that much. Well, it should bother you because I think it's awful. Well, I think you're awful. That's not nice. I don't really think you're awful. I just don't agree with you right now. I mean, you know, it's one of those things no, like, where I, yeah. the, both of the plots are fine, but I just think that, that, you know, Deep Space Nine so far, I think the third season, you know, we're in the middle of it now. And I, I think that really the show has come into its own. I think that Iris Stephen Bear is doing a great job as showrunner. He's really expanding the, the universe. He's sort of doing a lot of nice world building. You know, I think that, that the next episode we're going to talk about is, is really good in that respect as well, about how it ties together, um, you know, the changelings and what's going on with, with the Dominion um, yeah. and, and a kind of a personal story with Odo and Kira. But, you know, with this episode, there's a lot of world building going on as well about this idea about the peace treaty with the Cardassians and Kai Wynn and how Vedic Burial and her are getting along. And then it's just, you know, every five or ten minutes it goes back to this wacky hijinks plot about Nog and Jake uh, uh, having, you know, problems with double dating. And, you know, yeah, it's a it fi- was a s- it's fine, but it just – it tonally it's a little off. No, no. Again, and I don't disagree with that. Um, and I can't say I really liked the Nog and Jake storyline in this particular one, you know. It didn't really – See, that's funny because I, I don't really like the Vredek Burial story and I do like the Nog and Jake story. Huh. Well, I mean... And partly I think that's because I like Nog. And that's fine. And that's also something that we'll talk about in the next episode. And because... I'm, no, I, I, I'm liking Nog too. Like, that was... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I... Could I say that this was... You know, I guess let's talk about the fact that neither of us have ever been really invested in Kira and Barail as a couple. No, no. And I and... think that's a big part of it. I, I think that in general, the problem is that Vedic Burial never really like gelled as a character. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have a good sense of who he is. I don't have a good sense of, of what he believes, really. You know, I think that the actor is doing a fine job with the material he's given, but he's not elevating it in any way. And, you know, the, the character of Vedic Burial just, just was ill-conceived, I think. And I think that the relationship between Kieran Burial was ill-conceived. You know, I... You know, in doing the research for this episode, one of the reasons why they decided to to kill Vedic Bryle is because the writers, frankly, didn't know what to do with him. And I was going to say, you know, that that I think I like the Kiro Bryle uh, couple the best at the very end when she is saying goodbye to him. And I think that's very telling. Like, yeah. you know, something when the two of them are together, I don't feel any chemistry when Nana Visitor is just by herself. Are, you know, she's good at, you know, she, and she doesn't have to worry, frankly, about working off of another actor. She sells it her, just herself. Yeah. And that, those bits work. I, I think the best thing that they could do for this relationship would be to, was to kill him off. 
Especially at this point that when is the Kai, you know what I mean? Right, because the character, you know, as I think as originally conceived was was there as a as a foil for for Vedic Win, now Kai Win. And, you know, now that Win is the Kai and she's the leader of the Bajoran religion, you know, Vedic Bryal doesn't have a lot to do. And I think that this episode, you know, because we haven't seen uh, Vedic Bryal or Kai Win, yeah. I believe, since what, the end of the second season? Since when, the election. Yeah, since the election at the end of the second season. So, you know, we, we've gone 12 or 13 episodes now without seeing these characters. Suddenly they come back. And, you know, what, one of the things I do like about the episode is that, you know, again, we've talked before about how Deep Space Nine's approach to serialization is perhaps a little bit different than, than you know, now, right? A lot of TV shows now. Yeah. But also, I think, you know, with TNG as well, where you don't see a character for, for you know, half a dozen or, you know, a dozen episodes, then they come back and there's a lot of sort of... Um, it's a little exposition-y, but I do like the fact that the show is attempting to show that the characters are changing oh, while they're off screen. Yeah, it is very obvious in this episode that a bunch of stuff – I mean, Wynne is a very different per- – she's a very – she's very interesting in this episode. Yeah. Because this is one of the few times we've seen her where she's not just being a snake. She's not – doesn't have this – yes, there is that part when, you know – Cisco rightly, you know, suggests that, you know, Beryl will be kind of the scapegoat. Yeah. That's win being win. She didn't sabotage this. This is not to get to. She's at a point where all of her uh, energy and her machinations were towards seizing power. She was very good at seizing power. And now she has power and she's out of her league. And yeah. she's, you know, yes, she keeps talking to, you know, Beryl while he is, you know, medically about to, you know, you know, hanging by a string, not because she wants to stress him out and kill him. I mean, I even thought that that would be something that they were going into. Like, that's why she's asking. But no, she's just panicking. And I think that's a very interesting direction to take that character. Yeah, I I think so, too. And, you know, one of the I, I like it. But one of the problems I have with it is that, um, you know, her, her performance in this episode is a little muted. And uh, <laughs> what one of the one of the reasons why is because the actress actually had like a really bad case of the flu, oh. apparently, while she was while this episode was being filmed. Wow. And, you know, you, you don't get sick days when you're an actor. Uh, you you got to show up and do your job. Yeah. So. Uh, that I think is part of it. You know, there's just something about Kai Wynn in this episode that, that feels muted. There's a lack of energy in the performance. I think that probably had a lot to do with it, frankly. Yeah. But, you know, if you look at it solely on the, on the basis of the writing and, and the way that the character is being portrayed in this episode, you know, it is true that she does seem to be floundering a little bit. She, she doesn't seem to know what she's really doing. And and it also yeah. seems like a lot of this peace process is being driven by Vedic Barile. Oh, it is. You know, I mean, there's a degree where she's almost realizing, like, the entire time she spent getting to, she made all of these enemies, and now she has to backpedal because, you know, she can't do this alone. Like, she's getting exactly what she deserves, but, you know, in the interest of, you know, Barile has obviously made the case and convinced her that peace with Cardassia is really the only way forward. And yeah. And that's one of the things that I like about the episode the most is the sort of world building that it does with that, because, you know, this is a change in policy. They have a new kind yeah. you know, there, there's a new administration, you know, if you want to use that term, Vedic Burial is obviously someone who believes in, in peace very strongly. And I think if he was the Kai, this is also the direction he would be going. I do think it's interesting that the show, you know, made this very stark choice between, between Burial and, and, and win all throughout the first and second season. And then, of course, once win is the Kai, yeah. she seems to be 
you know, pursuing the same policies that Vedic Burial would. So maybe if Vedic Burial, frankly, is a better politician than her. Well, that's it. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, it's clear that Burial is working for the policy and Wynne is working for the glory. And, you know, in a way that might have been part of how Burial managed to convince her into this. I mean, Cisco even, you know, talks along those lines, you know, you'll be known as the person who brought peace to, you know, yeah. these things. Like your name's going to be written in and it is very clear that yes, everybody is going to know after this treat Kaiwin is the person who brought the treaty about, you know. But also frankly, I mean, now now you know, Vedic Burial is dead. And so yeah. w- where is Wynne going to go? I mean, you know, fr- from from what we know about her as a person, you know, in the first couple couple seasons of the show, she is someone who who is, you know, she's a snake, frankly. She's not a nice person. She she wants power for power's sake. And now she has it. Vedic Burial, yeah. this this sort of moderating influence on her is, is now dead. You know, what? Where? what's going to happen now? I mean, that's kind yeah. of a, you know, that's kind of an alarming question, I think, as well. I mean, we saw in the, uh, uh, oh, God, what was the the racist group, the xenophobic group on being? The Circle. The Circle. I mean, we saw she was willing to join with the Circle to get her, you know, right. what she wanted to do. So in this case, she happened to join with somebody who's on the side of the show, on the side of us, on the side of the Federation. And, you know, that's a very good, you know, that's a good thing, but... You know, yeah. Without that person there, who's who is who's ear who's going to have her ear next? Right. Who's right. going to be able to promise her the next thing of glory? Because trust, there, there, she can get just as much glory by going to war and defeating Cardassia. Someone convince her of that, you know? Which I don't think is probably going to happen. But no, you know, but I, I don't think that there's much of a. I don't think there's much of a possibility that Bajor is going to suddenly become some sort of military power. But but I think that, that or is there? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> or is there? Sure. Yes. See, see, you're trying to guard the spoilers from me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. Well, you know, we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, I, I think that that you know that's a good comparison though because. Of course, the circle is the xenophobic racist wants to kick you know everybody off. It's yeah. not a Bajor, and obviously that includes Cardassians. And and now we have and she, and Kai Wynn was very willing to to join with the circle to to gain power. Uh, and now, of course, she's on the opposite end of that. She's actually working with the Cardassians. She's you know wanting to bring more Cardassians to Bajor. She's talking about normalizing diplomatic relations with them. She's ta- you know trading ambassadors, like all sorts of stuff. So you know. Opening up the door for more Cardassian, I don't know if it's necessary necessarily influence into Bajor's policies, but it's it's you know there's something going on there. So you know w- we don't know who the real win is. You know she obviously is someone who's just yeah she doesn't have any you know in a way she's almost more dangerous than than the Circle because yeah she she can be influenced by anybody as long as she is convinced that they're able to give her the power that she wants. And that's not great. At the end of the day, Wynne is going to go with whoever lets her wear that, you know, gold dress and hat, you know, that's all she cares about is wearing the, you know, most impressive, you know, regalia. Yeah. yeah. And 
it you know she doesn't give a shit what's going to get her there. Well, you know it's funny because and this is kind of a, a, a tangent, but um, you know I watched the the biopic of Hannah Arendt the other day, <laughs> and and you know it's kind of like making me think that there are some connections between you know sort of her conception of of you know Eichmann as this sort of you know banal figure oh, yeah. who, who who just refused to think like he wasn't you know her her whole you know I haven't read the banality of evil in a few years, but but you know from watching the the movie you know her whole sort of argument about Eichmann is is and and evil in general is that you know we we kind of uh it's a comforting notion to think that evil is this sort of powerful force that people actively choose and and where the evil really comes from in the nazi regime and 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 perhaps also with kai win is the fact that that they're refusing to engage with thought that they're they're sort of just compartmentalizing these things in a certain way and so with kai win you know it it's not that she is an evil person it's it's that what she's doing is causing evil. You know, there's a, it's kind of a weird distinction, but I think there, there's a there's a case to be made for that, right? I mean, I remember one part in Banality of Evil where he was talking about like either a conference or a party or something where he, you know, where Hitler and you know Gables and all of the you know very high ranking people of there, and you know he was thinking of it as like he was going to a you know classy party with celebrities and like that's as, yeah you know just like whoa i met some politicians that i know you know whose names are in the paper without really connecting that to anything you know it, it, it's that lack of connection so yeah she does you know when she's working with this circle you know she's not really thinking of you know as, as you said refusing to engage with what the circle means and right or thinking about the fact that you know they're promising her power Right. And so I guess, yeah. And, and I think that that is kind of the open question at the end of this episode again is, you know, now that Vedic Burial is dead, you know, what, what is going to happen here? You know, because I, you know, the, the show does a good job. I think Cisco, um, is, is written in a, such a way and Avery Brooks plays him in this episode in such a way to, to indicate that, you know, he knows that, I mean, Kai Wynn and him have faced off before. Kira yeah. and Wynn have faced off before. But there's a grudging, you know, teeth gritting respect in this episode when they talk to her because she's now the Kai. Um, you know, the the, the fl- and she's the- doing what they they want done too. Right, right. And sort of the flash of the old, you know, Kira, for example, when she very eagerly says, I'll kick you out of the infirmary, like, don't worry about it. You know, like that kind of stuff is is there. It's under the surface. But, you know, they're having to play a very dangerous game here where they can't really be openly contemptuous of win anymore yeah i mean i think there's you know the scene when she's first talking with cisco in his office and you know he's very much giving her like the i don't believe a fucking word you say because you're kai win and you know you haven't said an honest word to me in the entire time we've known each other and you know, right i think as the episode goes on like they and you know again this was my take on it as i went through you know do i you know can i trust kai win or not and I think it becomes clear to everybody else just how, frankly, scared she is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she she is a very big responsibility is on her shoulders. Whatever her reasons for wanting this peace treaty to go, whether it's totally selfish, whether she is, you know, frankly, there may even be a combination of two. You know, I think she's very happy that her goals happen to align with making Bejor better. You know, that, yeah. that, that, that just makes it easier. Um and if this does fall, it is going to be very bad. I mean, she does recognize it. She maybe refuses to admit it completely. You know, she re- it's really only everything, you know, things people read between the lines for her. But I think they're realizing that this is the most vulnerable they're ever going to see Kaiwen. 
that could be. But I also think you know on the other the other side of that is you know she's very good at convincing people that she's sincere. I mean, if you see how she's interacting with Vedic Barail and she's she's saying all of the right things and she's sort of you know mimicking uh, uh, the right emotions. You know, I'm very concerned about Vedic Barail. You know, I need him for the peace process, but blah blah blah. He need, you know yeah, but and she's th- pissed at him for being sick. Well, yeah, that's my, that's my point, though, is that that's the real win. You know, she doesn't care about Vedic Barayal at all. She yeah. only cares about what she wants to get out of him. Yeah. And that's not great. I mean, that's very disturbing. Oh, Because, you know, Vedic Barayal is, is, you know, he's dying. You know, he he's very, very injured. And, you know, I think that if you think back to, like, the first 10 minutes of the episode where everyone thinks that Vedic Barayal is dead and you kind of get the panic on Wynn's face, right? And then he suddenly yeah. comes back to life and she realizes that she can still use him. You know, that's a very, I think, key scene in the episode. And it's also one that's probably the most disturbing scene in the episode. I would say maybe even more disturbing than, like, zombie Barayal. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, like you, you see, you know, when he's all right, she's like, all right, great. Well, he's fine. And, you know, we can move on and nothing, you know, will have happened. And... Right, because she doesn't actually care. She doesn't care yeah. that Veronica Bile isn't okay. She only cares that his knowledge is still there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she's willing to – you know, she's gambling a lot, you know. But, yeah, she she pushes him to get this done, and she does get this done. But as you say, you know, he is – she is really just thinking in the short term. Yeah, You know, yeah. there are going to be – you know, this isn't the end of the treaty. It's going to need to be revised in six months. Everyone knows that, you know. They, and when they, the tra- – yeah. yeah, and she's not the person who has all of the knowledge. I mean the episode is very, yeah. very clear on the fact that it doesn't seem like Wynn is very interested in the minutia of the peace process at all. And Vedic, Vedic Barail is the one who actually has all the knowledge. You know, when the uh, the legate says, oh, we want, you know, all yeah. of his property back and what Wynn's like, what the fuck is he up to? And, you know, my first thought, of course, was this is a backdoor way for Cardassia to claim Deep Space Nine again, mm, right? Because, or, yeah. Uh, but, but of course, Vedic Barail is the one who says, no, we I rejected that months ago. Like, he knows that. He's just trying yeah. to get back again. I mean, I get the sense almost that Wynn isn't really able to, you know, she just isn't diplomatically savvy enough. Just, you know, that that that's where she's hit her wall. And, you know, Barile is just much more skilled on that and can realize, you know, when it's a really a concession being rephrased or, you know, I mean, my, tra- you know, yeah, my my read on that was a little different. I just I, I got the impression that Wynn is just frankly not interested in it. And, and you I know, mean, frankly, it could be a little of both. She really is. Yeah. You know, that's her. I, I I mean that that's pretty much what her Kai ship is going to be. She's well, the one who's going to be in front of the parades while everybody else does the real work. Yeah, because I think in a certain sense you can make an argument for Wynn as some sort of Nixonian figure. You know, where where her entire you know career is is focused so heavily on getting the top prize, and once she gets it, she doesn't know what the fuck to do with yeah. it. Yeah, you know, she wants power, but she doesn't know why she wants it. Well, she's both sociopathic and narcissistic. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's Nixon for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you think about the whole Cardassian peace process though because it did kind of come out of nowhere yeah it did um, not the, in a way which necessarily bothered me because all of the other characters do seem to be just as taken aback yeah and I mean it is clear that this is you know we haven't been paying attention to to Bajor and Cardassia for a little while. We've been True. kind of dealing with the Dominion stuff. And so, you know, I, I you know, I think they did a good enough job of, 
you know, implying what's been going on in the past six, eight months, you know, for the rest of the season um, to show that, yes, this was all developing, but this isn't directly hitting any of the characters because this doesn't, you know, the only Bajoran on this station is, you know, Kira, really everybody, you know, this is not the Federation, you know, dog to do the treaty. Maybe they should have known about it. You know, maybe a memo from Wynn's office saying, hey, by the way, you know, you would think that Barai would have mentioned it to Kira at some point, you know, but beyond that. Well, maybe not. Yeah, exactly. You know, beyond that, no, I think I I found that fine. I think they made it, I, I think they compensated for it. And I think, you know, and again, I think it makes sense, you know, on the on the basis of what we know about Barail, because this is a man who always has been very invested in the idea that that the Bajorans need to, you know, move on from the Cardassian occupation. And this is a very concrete way that they can do that. I mean, and that I think is why, you know, well, maybe not why, but I, I kind of my my headcanon about why Kira uh, is actually interested in him or attracted to him, because I think that they have you know, they have sort of some some very similar ideas about, you know, how Bajor needs to heal. Yeah. I mean, I go with that, you know, that speech at the end, you know, when she says, you know, look, you know, I thought you had all the answers. Turned out you were just as confused as all of us, but you were able to bear it so much easier. Right. That's, you know, why I fell in love with you, you know. We, you know, especially in the next episode, you know, it does make it clear that one of the things that Kira, Kira is a very direct person, you know, she doesn't, you know... Well, <laughs> yeah, fair. No, <laughs> you're right. She does not Kira. So no, no. But I, oh no, I know that. But you know, Odo says that you know one of the things he likes about her is her directness. You know, yeah. And so you know, even though that's not Kira in general, you know, from what you know, we we've seen you know two and a half seasons. However, I think we can all agree that Kira is a direct person. Yes. You yeah, know? Yeah. And she is not, you know, she says what she means, you know, she sees the world for what it is. And, I, you know, I, I think that's, you know, Baral did have more of a practicality to his views on, you know, the Bajoran religion in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, you know, and, and, and I mean, you know, finally, I mean, I, well, there's the Nog and Jake subplot, which I don't even know if I'd really want to talk about. Because I feel like there's, you know, really to say about it. Uh, Nog is being a weird Frankie jackass and, you know, Jake doesn't like it. Um, it kind of, you know, it, it's it makes sense having seen the next episode right afterwards, you know, which is, you know, this is kind of the uh, uh, um Juxtaposed to Nog's ambitions to join Starfleet, yeah, it's an interesting segment, and I think it's one which, you know, the important the, the meat of that is Cisco's, you know, saying, you know, no, look, you told me that, you know, I was wrong, you know, no, Ferengi's and humans can come to a, you know, agreement, you know, and which will ultimately lead to his acceptance of Nog in the next episode. That's as far as I took their plot. Yeah, I suppose that's true, and I think that you know it's. You know, I, you know, part of it, I think, is, you know, Nog has kind of been been, uh, uh, you know, AWOL for a few episodes. We haven't seen him in a while. And here he is. And they're trying to make it a lighthearted. You know, I, I think that the idea was probably the, the instinct was probably a good one. That they have this very heavy plot about, you know, Vedic Burial yeah. dying and making points about life support and all kinds of things. And then also having this whole peace process with the Cardassians. So they want something to lighten them up a little bit. I just think that. It, it doesn't work as well as it should. And and I don't know that. I mean, one of the things I like about it is that, 
then neither of them admit that they're wrong because in a certain sense, neither of them are wrong. But I, I think, that, well, I mean, Nog is wrong, but, <laughs> but the, the way that the Ferengi treat women are wrong. We had this conversation, you know, last, last uh, season with rules of acquisition, but you know, it, 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 in the sense of the Starfleet sort of Federation live and let live policy where it's multiculturalism and all of this stuff. And the, again, I think that you kind of see this in sort of the, the way that this show is, perhaps a lot more nineties than, than yeah. we've, we've kind of set, seen it before because that was very much an idea in the nineties, which has kind of gone away at this point. But yeah, they don't really make any sort of, they don't come to any sort of like resolution. They just kind of agree to disagree, which I guess is okay. But we learned that Frangy women chew their food for their husbands. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. The one thing I liked about it was Nog figuring it all out immediately. Like, yeah, like, I love yeah. that, that he just, you know, wait a minute, they wouldn't just arrest you. Okay, this isn't real. Why did you do that? You know, right, like, like right. He, he clicks it together, and that I actually really liked. Yeah, and I think also that feeds into the next episode as yeah. well, Nog's plot in that episode. So we'll, we can talk about that um, now, I guess, unless okay. you have anything else to say about life support. Uh, I guess we could talk about how the show is trying to make some political point about life support, but frankly, what the fuck, I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Heart of Stone, which is uh, a very it's a hell of odd an episode. episode. Yeah, it, it, it was. This one always sticks out in my head. Uh, this, this was a very heavy week, I have to say. Yeah. Like, just in terms of raw emotion that the characters were feeling, this was this was a tough one. Um, yeah, I, I didn't. I I did almost wonder if changelings were involved seeing the uh you know the the effect that they used on the crystal looks like their normal changeling effect in a way. Um I didn't grasp that Kira was the changeling as well. Mm. Um that was my question is did you kind of I wasn't sure, you know, it was at first when she's like I'm trapped and I'm like oh I wonder if that's a trick, you know, or right, something like right. that. But it's the kind of episode that did a good job of distracting me from it, you know, because enough shit was, you know, enough sh- shit happened quickly enough that, you know, I forgot the original question. Well, it's really funny to me because, you know, again, this is one that always sticks out of my head, I think, because the the kind of conception of Kira in the crystal and, you know, they're in that cave and stuff is a very strong sort of memory in my yeah. head because uh, it's a very striking concept. But the actual episode is pretty evenly divided between that story and, and Nog's story about trying to, to get a recommendation to, to join Starfleet. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a, I think it's the right choice for the episode because I, I love Nog's plot a lot. And, you know, I think it's time to talk about Nog, but you know, the, 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 the stuff with Kira and Odo is, is interesting, but in the context of the twist at the end of the episode, I don't know that it's worth talking about all that much because, of course, it's not Kira. Well, you so know, it, yeah, it is. It a, says something about how far the changelings are willing to go to yeah. fuck with Odo, but I get you know, to a degree, it's more about Odo's admitting of his feelings towards you know, Kira and beginning to deal with that because yes, obviously he doesn't confess it to her. Right. You know, but he's gotten it out in the open and this makes it as clear as he, you know, frankly, the entire 
you know, his figuring everything out hinges on him acknowledging to himself that, no, Kira doesn't reciprocate this. Right. And so, I mean, that alone for Odo is very important. It's a different beat than it would be if Kira, you know, Odo told Kira this, you know, whether or not she reciprocated or not. But, you know. Well, and frankly, too, I mean, I think that, that you know, Odo's. It's funny because, you know, like you said just a few minutes ago about Nog almost immediately realizing that this is actually not the case. Why is this happening? What's really going on here? I kind of feel like one one small problem with the episode I have is that I don't think that Odo picks up on the fact that something is wrong with this early enough. Because one of the things that always strikes me on a rewatch of this episode is that Kira's just in too good of a mood. Like, you know, she's she's caught in this crystal. She's caught in this rock. It's it's getting pretty bad. And she's laughing. And, you know, it's like that Kira would be angry. Like Kira would be working really hard to get out of this. She wouldn't just kind of be like, well, this is happening. I guess this is how I go out. Like, you know, so there's that part of it where I'm just kind of like Odo isn't necessarily picking up on this enough. Yeah, no. And that's fair. You know, we can. Maybe they ought to have sold that a little better, you know, giving us the impression that he is, you know, I can be distracted from, you know, the mystery, but, you know, can Odo, you know, is, and if he is, that's saying something that the episode doesn't acknowledge that much, you know what I mean? Right, because it, it, it also seems to me like he comes to the realization because it's the end of the episode yeah. and it has to end. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no there's no one thing where he's suddenly like, this is why this is not making sense to me, you know? Yeah, and, and he is – it's not like there's any point where he's playing along just to figure out who this is, you know? Right. I think, well, I guess, I guess the moment he really realizes it is when Kira says that she loves him too, but, you know – and I don't know. It, it's a little, it's a little too convenient for me. I think. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think that the episode is a really strong one for Odo. I think that that you know Rene Abrajonwal gets a good chance to really act the hell out of some scenes, and you know he is someone who is obviously extremely. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that the woman he loves is dying, and so that's why he's not thinking straight. Okay. Um. But yeah. But you know, as. You know, the, he, he, there there were some clues that happened before that happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, we, you know, it, it took till the last minute to, you know, get everything to clicking in place. But he might have noticed that things were a little off anyway. I, th- I think so. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things he says at the end of the episode is that, you know, everything is just a little too convenient. You know, you had the Maquis yeah. who disappeared and then you couldn't find him. And this crystal thing happened. And Kira says she loves you. You know, there's all these sort of like the chain of events is there. And I guess you could make the argument that it's really the chain of events and not one particular instance that's making Odo realize this isn't a real thing. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it works fine. I mean, the the point of the episode is not really the mystery. The point of the episode is really about yeah. Odo's, you know, feelings towards Kira and also how far the changelings can and right. will go. Right. Um, one of the implications that I got from this, and I don't know if this was reading it from, you know, completely wrongly, but even that the changelings pretended to be the ship was part of, you know, th- th- that was almost implied. Like when he ask you know how did you get a maquis ship and you know the changeling like laughs and says like you don't even know like that 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 was what i got from that well i think that that, that <laughs> you know well yeah i mean it could be i mean i i don't know if they can actually go to warp or not but I, that's not really relevant but yeah I think, like how, but I, yeah I, but i think that that you know 
the the point here really or or sort of the implication is that the changelings are already in the alpha quadrant and yeah what the hell are they up to like you know do you know what i mean like because they've got this changeling here no one knew she was here she she has this elaborate byzantine plot to to convince oda i mean you know in, in a certain sense it's it's you know very very television logic where they you know they convince oda that the woman he loves is dead and that will sever his ties to the solids quote unquote and, and to a, they, he will go back to the to the you know changelings and that will be that yeah uh that kind of indicates to me that well number one the episode makes the point that the changelings don't have as good of an understanding yeah. of Odo as they think they do but also that they can move pretty freely in the alpha quadrant nobody really knows what's going on I mean, it does make it clear, yes, that they don't really understand human behavior as well as they do, and also, well, Odo's not human. Well, the other, the other thing is that Odo kind of is acting very human then, because as you said, you know, he is distracted by the fact that you know the woman who loves is in peril. You know, he does feel you know this very strong connection towards another person, which is something that his species doesn't do. So yes, you know. Even though he isn't human, he's a lot closer to it than he was a couple of years ago, you know, than he was when he was first, you know, found. Well, was- I think, you know, it's funny because I think one of the things that I think you're wrong. And I think the reason why you're wrong is that Deep Space Nine is going very far down the road of expanding the definition of humanity to include all kinds of alien races. And so it's not really about Odo becoming human in in the same way that, that data, you know, because Odo in a certain sense is the data of deep space nine, but, but you know, data very explicitly textually wanted to become human. Right. And that was his whole arc. Uh, Odo doesn't want that, you know? And so it's not that Odo is 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 being human. I think you could make the argument that he's even being a little. You know, there's there's a well, there's I, a broader sense of of what it means to be a humanoid. Well, or whatever. I was about to say, yeah, that you know, to to be fair, he doesn't say human. He says humanoid because he does take as much uh, influence in his behavior from Bajorans who are not human. You yeah. Know? So yeah. Um, that, yeah, may- maybe then, he, you know, it's their understanding of humanoid behavior, and he is acting more like a humanoid. Maybe that's, I guess, a slightly more I mean, in a certain sense, phrasing. you make the argument but, that it's a distinction without a difference. But, yeah, of course. That's that's that too, you know. But I think that especially on the heels of, you know, la- the last episode's B-plot where, where Nog and Jake are both humanoids, and they both obviously their brains work in similar fashions, and they have similar emotions and things of all, you know. they under You know, the thing about Star Trek is that you just have to kind of, you know, round up that, that all these humanoids kind of generally experience the, the universe in the same way, um, even though that may not actually be the case. But, you know, you just kind of have to go with that, 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 you know, Nog and Jake subplot in the last episode was kind of about the, the cultural differences between them, yeah. even though they kind of both want the same things out of life in a certain sense. Uh, but, but of course in this episode, when Odo was talking about what it means to be a humanoid, he's kind of, you know, he's, he's taking his influences. I think this episode is making it clear that, that Odo is being influenced by the people around him yeah. a lot more than he thinks he is. I mean, I and think, a lot more than the changelings do, frankly, too. I think. I mean, I think part of their, you know, their blind spot is they think that if Kira's out of the way, then um, Odo will just, you know, go back home and he won't. But you know, yeah, and, and, and Odo finds that ridiculous, and you and I know that as well. If Kira were to die, well, 
there is still Cisco, there is still Bashir, there is still Quark, there is still, you know, everybody who is on DS9, you know, Odo still has ties to them. He has a room there, you know, he has a home there, and he will, you know, he is, if Kira died, he would have a horrible time of things, but I don't think he'd leave, you know, I think it right, would, right. frankly, that would spur him on to even be, if Kira died in the sense he would, you know, in in the situation as you know it's being faked to be, Odo would be the biggest Maki hunter you'd ever find afterwards. You yeah, know? and he would, you know, be even more gung ho to work with everybody, you know, to get rid of the Dominion and all of that. You know, like yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, so it does. I mean, the episode makes it clear what a gross misunderstanding that is, but even. More so, you know, the changelings find it incomprehensible that he could love Kira, but they also – it doesn't even begin to get into their radars that he could start to be loving everybody else. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's true. And, and you know, we know that Odo – I don't know, because on the one hand, you could make the ar- – I mean, you could make the argument that, that Odo – it's not necessarily just the people in his life, but also the fact that he has a life there now. And I mean, he well, yeah. he likes what he does and he's really good at it. And, you know, I, I think that, that he doesn't want to go back to the changelings because he doesn't really know what it means to, to be a change. Well, I mean, what is that? It's not his you know, home. Right. You know, right. That, that's it. Like for better or for worse, you know, there's a, there's a biological determinism to the way yeah. that the changelings are acting. That is really, really antithetical to Star Trek, which I think is kind of part of the point. But what's interesting is because, you know, given, you know, because we saw the Jem'Hadar taken from his people and having that strong need to go back. I mean, I think that's interesting that that's a behavior that's kind of almost, you know, programmed into the Jem'Hadar because it seems well, (laughs) Uh, it seems second nature to the changelings to be that way too. Like the changeling can't separate can't fathom somebody who wants to be separated from his people yes and to a degree though you know odo's people are not of his species odo's species is not his people right yeah odo is odo is the one changeling that we know of so far where you know the biology and the culture are not the same yeah uh, and i mean we're seeing but we've seen that with a couple other you know we've seen uh, uh, um you know, Dax is seen to have, you know, some li- uh, unusual things for being a trail. Quark is an unusual Ferengi. You know, these, you know, I, I think at the beginning of the series, you know, we talked about how this is a little more of a crew of misfits than like the Enterprise was. But these are people who don't quite feel at home among their own people and who had to go out elsewhere to find that. Yeah, that could certainly be. I mean, there's no reason why Quark needs to stay on Deep Space yeah. Nine. There's no reason why Odo needs to stay on Deep Space Nine, really. You know, and and yeah, you could. Yeah, I think that's true. It's yeah. their home, though. Yeah. Well, now it is. You know, I think. And again, you know, if you look at the very beginning of the third yeah. season, where that whole plot line with Cisco taking stuff back, you know, yeah, yeah this yeah. is this is becoming their home to a large degree. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess you know that's a good segue to talk about the Nog stuff because, of course, Nog is another you know Ferengi who is not like yeah. a good Ferengi, right? And I don't know. I mean, what do you make of this? Like, you know, it, 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 it's the kind it. This isn't. They did this very well because you know, to all of the characters, to Cisco, to Dax, even to Jake, his best friend, this is coming out of nowhere to the degree that they think it's a joke. You I mean, know? he couldn't even read at the end of last season. So yeah, and. But when he finally, you know, says his, you know, explains why, it makes perfect sense. I mean, we have seen how, 
you know, one of the things that I've always kind of wondered in the back of my mind, how does Nog view his dad? You know, right, because right. his dad is um I, I you know, I guess emasculated is the best term for it, you know, especially in Ferengi terms. Well, yeah. Um there's it, no that's a distinction without a difference in Ferengi land. Yeah. Um he ha- you know, he his he, he he's delobed practically and uh we find out in this episode Nong is a bit embarrassed for him and he's very you know he's there's a poignancy when he says you know my dad's a mechanical genius but you know he can't you know because he's doing the Ferengi thing like a good Ferengi he went into business and he sucks at business you know right and you know it is very clear that a Rom who went through Starfleet or went into some place where he could have been you know yeah he could have been a mechanic on you know somewhere you know on a ship and that would have been very good and he would have been very good at that and Nog wants that chance you know I think it's interesting because, you know, Ferengi culture, you know, we haven't had that many Ferengi episodes so far, but but the Ferengi episodes that we have seen are, you know, the Ferengi society is a monoculture and and Ferengi society is very very sexist, it's very male driven, very dominant, very dominated by men, uh, and it's very dominated by this idea of profit and this sort of mercantilist capitalism idea, right? Yeah. And if you are not good at, you know, making money, then you're just worthless. And so what you see with Rom is a character that is not good at making money. And so his brother, uh, uh, you know, looks down on him, berates him, you know, and, and Rom doesn't Rom doesn't do anything about it because, you know, Rom. He's internalized Rom, it. Well, right. Yeah, exactly. He's got internalized whatever. He's internalized his own lack of worth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so. In the same way, I think Nog realizes that he doesn't have the lobes for business, and yeah. he doesn't want to become his father, which I think is a really sort of sad, you know, statement on their relationship. But but all because I, you know, I don't think that they have a bad relationship. No. I just think that Rom is a bad Ferengi, and he's not smart enough to realize he's a bad Ferengi in a certain sense. Do you know what I mean? Like he keeps I, trying. I mean, you know, whereas Nog is obviously pretty smart. Yeah, I I, I guess the. I, I wouldn't – you know, I, I think at the very end when he says, you know, he, you know, he's saying, you know, no, you go to Starfleet. I mean he seems to – he doesn't even seem to question why his son wants to right, do this. You right. know, it see, you know, he seems very obvious to him why he's going for this and he's very happy. You know, this is a moment where he has the moment to actually make his son's life better and he's going for it, you know, and – you know, so I think there are moments when he realizes there can be another life to this. And I mean, that I guess has been I think it's very clear that if Jake and Nog hadn't been friends, Nog would not be at this point. I, I think so, yeah. I mean I think that you know you well know, not you know, not even just because, you know, here's a connection to Starfleet, but yeah, as you said, Nog couldn't read because that's something that Ferengis don't do, you know. It seems my under my my impression is that anything that's not directly dealing with business is, you know, lower. You'll you you hire someone to do that for you. You know, right. you hire someone to do the mechanical stuff. You hire somebody to you know, uh, because that's you know your point is to get the profit in this. Um, 
Well, and also, too, I, I do think it's interesting that the only times that we ever see Rom defy Quark are, are in relation to decisions made about his son. You know, yeah. and, and I, I, I like that because, it, you know, because you could read that scene and that's a very good scene at the end where where, you know, Cisco gets the information out of Nog about why he really wants to join Starfleet. It's just it's fantastic. And that was a very hard scene in a lot of ways, I, I have to say, like it was, but it was also like, it, you know, it was Cisco doing Picard. It was. Yeah, it was a Cisco twist on that it was an avery brooks i mean because avery brooks oh is yeah just like you know <laughs> i don't want to be alone in a room with that guy when he's angry like it's just like well not even angry but just like he's very intense you know what I, mean? I mean it reminded me a little of the scene from lower decks you know when there's the one uh the bajoran woman you know and who's going on the thing and he's you know picard is like pretend you know stonewalling her or, you know, acting a little angry or just to get her to be honest with him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's what Cisco is definitely doing. But as you said, you know, it is it is a Cisco version of that. And, you know, I, I think it's very interesting because we have mostly seen Rom next to Jake. And so we like Rom yeah. because, you know, we like Jake and their friends, but... You mean Nog? Yes. Um... This episode, you know, we ha- you know we see Dax's opinion of you know Nog, and we you know we have I ha- I never really had cause to think about it, but yeah, he you know Dax would only think of him as that punk that's you know my boss's kid's friend, you know, right, who's right, always getting in trouble. I mean, well, and also too, frankly, I mean, don't forget that that you know Cisco sort of assumed that Jake wanted to go to Starfleet. Yeah, that whole you know subplot in one of the one of the episodes from from a little while ago yeah, yeah, about yeah. how Jake didn't want to join Starfleet, and so it it it's just I think it's a nice little twist on the idea yeah. that you know because again if you look at it, and you, I mean, go back to Wesley for example, where this is a character who was this sort of like you know er genius about everything and this sort of savant, and he turned out to not do that at all, right? I mean, he yeah. went off with the Traveler in season seven, and they're going off and having sexy adventures, but. Uh, you know, and, and so that was kind of put, put, put to the side. Then you have Jake who everyone assumed would go to Starfleet and he doesn't want to go to Starfleet. And now you know, he's not a genius. He's, you know, right. And you know, I, I think that's, you know, the scene when Jake's like, Oh, good one. You told my dad you wanted to go to Starfleet. I told him as he was, it was a joke, you know, because you know, almost Jake finds it inconceivable that his friend would want to join Starfleet because you know, well, I don't want to join Starfleet. Right. You wouldn't either, you know. And it really and the thing the thing that makes it work in this episode, I think, is that, you know, most of the characters are not saying that because he's a Ferengi. They're saying it because he's Nog. Like yeah. you know, everyone sort of just kind of assumes that he's one way, and as it turns out, he's not. Uh he's got a lot of depth to him that we didn't perhaps even know about. Yeah. And also, you know, the 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 final thing to say about it maybe is is, you know, he wants to go to Starfleet Academy too. Like he doesn't just want to join Starfleet. Yeah. He's you not going to be O'Brien. Right. Which I think is an interesting choice as well, because he does want, to, you know, they do say in the episode that he's good with his hands and all this kind of stuff. Right. And you know, the implication is that he, he wants to be an engineer in Starfleet, but yeah, he's not going to, he's not going to O'Brien and trying to purchase his apprenticeship. He's going to, to Cisco. He the wants commander to be, of the station. Yeah. He, I think eventually Nog, you know, he wants to be a captain or something. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, I know where it's going to go, but you don't know where it's going to go. I mean, we don't know if Nog is even going to get into Starfleet Academy. Oh, I mean, he will. You know, he still has to do. Well, I'm trying to add some mystery to it, Richard. <laughs> that would be a hell of a thing. You know, they build up. Oh, he's going to, you know, he's going to get into Starfleet. He's going to get into Starfleet. He didn't get into Starfleet. And then Nog just like jumps out the airlock and it's very tragic. Well, and. and <laughs> Well, uh, you kind of indirectly hit on something that happens later. Um, Nog goes into the air lock? Yes. Uh, <laughs> there's a really good Nog episode about Nog. 
going into the airlock. Yes. Um, there's a good Nog episode about Nog. Good job, Eric. <laughs> I uh, love eggnog. Oh, I hate it. Um, and so I think that, that, you know, what I like about it is that the show is starting. You know, we saw this, I think, with, with the last episode as well, where the show is, is, is showing us that these people are not necessarily who we think they are. And it's doing different things with them. And, you know, where Nog goes, you know, who knows where Jake is going to go? Who knows where, where you know, Odo is going to end up? Who knows? You know, all of this kind of stuff. Where Kai Wynn is going to go? We don't know. But at the end of the day... Uh, I think that the show is is comfortable with ambiguity in a, in a really yeah. interesting way, and I like it. And I don't know, you know, I know where it's going to go, but you don't know where it's going to go. But I have no okay idea where that. it's going to go. I think it turns out that Nog's really a changeling this whole time. Well, where we're going to go is ending this episode, but that's not going anywhere. That's doing a thing. If you have any thoughts on either one of the episodes that we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at trekaboutshow.com. Uh, please, uh, if you would like to give us some money, you can go to our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. There are some interesting perks there. Uh, if you would like to hear uh, a special episode from us once a month that you can't get otherwise, you have to give us five bucks a month for that. So that's something you could get. It's exclusive. It's exclusive to patrons. Uh, and as always, our social media username is Show, where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And finally, please leave us a positive iTunes review. Next week, we are continuing our journey into the third season of Deep Space Nine. We're going to be talking about Destiny and Profit Motive, which, of course, is a Ferengi episode. So well, you said you wanted more Ferengi episodes. I never want more Ferengi episodes. You love Ferengi. No. You have Ferengi bed sheets. <laughs> <laughs>